In Session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show and suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 3104410555. Before I begin with the uh, book summary review of last week's book, I'm going to announce the book for this week. Um, that I'll talk about next week, and it is Mind Wise by Nicholas Epley. Mind Wise, why we misunderstand what others think, believe, feel, and want. And as I'm saying it, I think this is the third book that had the word mind in it. There was Mind Sight, uh, Mindset, and now this one's Mind Wise by Nicholas Epley. I actually started the book today, and it was quite interesting. And although I haven't completed the book, uh, I'd give a recommended recommendation based on what I've seen so far. So I hope you'll join me in reading that book and I'll talk about it next week. But the book for this past week was The Confidence Game by Maria Konnikova. The Confidence Game, why we fall for it every time. And, you know, before I even read the book, I thought it was more about how confidence or when people act confidently, it leads to people following them or believing them. Um, whether it's in politics or other things, but actually it's related and it's the same um, type of concept, but it's talking about when we talk about con men, which actually that term comes from confidence men because people who are con men are very uh, overly confident and use that to get us to believe what they want us to believe. And of course, in some way, we want to believe it ourselves, and then use that to their advantage to get us to give them what they want, whether it's money or votes or whatever else that it might be. So, uh, of course, although I thought it was slightly different, it is really the same thing because whether we're talking about people trying to persuade you to believe them or to get your money, it's really essentially the same type of thing. So we've all heard that term before, con man. Usually it's man. I don't know if this is one of those areas where people would be okay with the sexism of not saying con person because um, we would have to say there's obviously con men and con women, but usually we talk about con men, and these are people that use their um, tools of manipulation to get us to do what they want. And they're very talented. Those that become successful are very good at reading people and putting together a plan and strategy to work with us to get us then to work with them and to trick us. Now... Um, one thing I'll say is many people, when you hear about people who've fallen for a con man and fallen for some type of scheme, we think, oh, there's no way I would have fallen for that. And we think how stupid that person was and naive, and we think there's no way I would, I would be a victim. Well, the truth is any of us can be a victim. 
when you actually actually ask people who've fallen for something, um, they say it seemed so real. And if you ask them about something that someone else went through, they say, of course, if I was in that situation, I'd be more skeptical and I wouldn't fall for it. Um, but even when they do research, we can't say there's one trait or traits that for sure determine people who are going to fall for confidence games or schemes. Um, so we all can be the victim. And more than likely you have been in your life, whether it's you gave, um, you know, actually it happened to me today. I was at a gas station and a few people, these two guys were there saying they ran out of gas and if I can give them a few dollars and I did. I thought there's a good chance they maybe did not run out of gas, but I just felt okay giving them a few dollars. So maybe I was even conned today out of a few bucks. But more than likely all of us have been conned to some degree or another. And definitely I'm sure all of us have remembered a time when we were approached to be conned. For example, um, a very common one in recent years has been the calls from the IRS. They call you and say, we're from the IRS and you owe us money. And then they find a way to have you transfer money towards them. Um, that's a very common one. I just, before I started the show, I went to my SoundCloud page and I got a message and it's almost funny because, uh, so I only post my shows on my SoundCloud page, but I got a message um, I won't say the name of the user and it says your song. And then it lists the name of my show as a title that I put up is pretty cool. We think it can be doing well in this music contest. We are ho hosting to help fellow musicians to receive feedback for their music. Please take a look at the page if interested. And then it puts a website, but has spaces in between the website, probably so it can't be traced or something. Um, and that's it. So uh, I'd like to believe that they think, my show is a great song and then it might win a contest, but I'm pretty sure that this is a scam or somehow trying to get me to click on this website for some reason, but it just shows that yes, there's these scams and schemes happening all the time around us. And uh, this book, The Confidence Game, takes a closer look at what makes them happen, how do they work, and how do we play a part in allowing it to happen to us as much as we'd like to think uh, it's all on them. We, the victims, play a big part in what happens. Now, just like any topic we talk about, not every con man is going to be exactly the same. But the author discusses how there's something they call the dark triad, or three characteristics that tend to be essential for a successful con man. So what are these three traits? The first one is psychopathy, or being a psychopath which means that these individuals lack empathy. They don't really feel for other people. They don't mind taking advantage of people. They don't think about how someone else might feel from what they do. So basically, if they hurt someone, they don't care. They see it as a means to an end, which is their own personal gain, and that's all they care about. Um, and so sometimes this is also called antisocial personality disorder, but essentially there's a lack of empathy or care for someone else. The second part of the triad is narcissism. So everyone has some narcissism and that's a healthy thing, but we're talking about more of extreme narcissism. So that means I'm, I'm better than others. I have grandiose feelings about myself. I also deserve a lot. I can even deserve it without effort. Um, I am better than other people. And because of that, I deserve more. So a lot of con men, have even pretended to have a degree or to have some kind of status, but really in their mind, maybe they think I am that good. I do deserve it. I am better than those other people that even have this degree. So who cares if I steal some identity and give myself 
that title. So they have a strong sense of narcissism. And the third trait that she discusses in this triad is Machiavellianism, which is uh, the ability to try to manipulate people to do what you want. So you, um, like the book, uh, like Machiavelli's Ideal Prince, you're able to trick people, do whatever you need to be, you make power plays to manipulate people to get to your end or whatever you are trying to do. So these traits are very important for people who are trying to take advantage of people because first of all, they don't really care much about other people. When they're doing the con, they see the person as what they call a mark, not a human being who has thoughts and feelings and maybe their life will be ruined by what they do, but just a person that they want to use and part of their plan. Also, they feel like they deserve a lot. So I deserve to have, let's say, lots of money without doing the work, or this is the work that I'm doing. And they're also very manipulative, so they know how to try to twist things around to get themselves or get other people to do what they want for themselves. So they are very good at manipulating us, and they are in some ways great psychologists, you can say, because although they lack empathy, they're very good at reading people, knowing who would make a good mark, What's the right time? Very often they pick on people who are emotionally vulnerable because during those times when our life doesn't really make sense, we want someone to make sense of our world. And then come to the con men, and very often they tell us a story or something for us to believe. For example, oh, I know this incredible investment opportunity, and I uniquely have this, and I, I want to give you this chance to get involved. And they're very good at making it seem believable but that somehow we are the one who's chosen. And unfortunately, this is where our own narcissism gets in our way or our own feeling of being exceptional. What she describes in the book is that people very often think, yeah, I do deserve it. This is my lucky break. I'm a good person, so maybe it does make sense for me to find this incredible investment opportunity that no one else has found and to become rich because of it. And they find lots of ways to play into that as well. But although we are all exceptional in a way, none of us is exceptional in the sense that we deserve to get something without doing anything or that we deserve a free lunch. And something she herself discussed after writing the book, she said that she pays more attention that if something seems too good to be true, then it probably is. That if something seems too good to be true, be skeptical about it and assume that it probably is. Don't think I am just lucky or somehow I've been given this opportunity. Now, what also works in the favor of the con artist is that people don't want to see that they are being conned once they have bought in. And she shares countless stories of people where you think there's all these red flags, but the people have in some way consciously, unconsciously chosen not to see those red flags or to look past them or to really believe even more firmly in what's going on. <clears throat> even she shares stories of uh, cults where people had made some type of prediction and that prediction didn't come true. And you'd think, well, everyone is going to fall apart or the cult is going to fall apart, but people even get more invested. They double down on what's going on. And people even do that literally with their money, putting more money in, even though it seems like something is going wrong. It's so hard for us to acknowledge that we made a mistake, that maybe we've been conned, that maybe it was too good to be true. 
and we just keep at it and put ourselves into more and more trouble. Now, many people listening, as anyone who read this, read this book, and even as I was reading it, you might think, again, I'm not going to be conned because I can read people. I can spot a liar. I can spot a con man from a mile away. The truth is, we're not as good as we think. And unfortunately, most of us tend to be overconfident about our ability to, for example, spot lies. We think, oh, I can spot a liar, and we tell ourselves things like, oh, they won't look at you the right way, or if they move around too much, that means they're lying. But actually, research shows that that's not true. There isn't consistent things that liars do every time, and that's why there really aren't people that are very good at reading liars or to tell who's lying or not. In research, they've done a very, very, very small percentage of people are good at picking up on lies. Most of us are pretty much at the same level as guessing. So we might think we're good at it. We might think we know, but we really don't. And we might think we can't be conned, but the truth of the matter is we can. And I myself, as a psychologist, I try to read people's behavior, understand them, or try to pick up on things. But I know that easily a client could come to my office and make up a whole fake story of their life, and I, I would believe it. It's maybe I'd catch them, maybe I wouldn't, but I don't think that because I'm a psychologist, I would be invulnerable to being conned or being lied to, even if it's in a field where I'm supposed to understand people and in an area where I hear lots of people's stories, I can still be conned. And we're just not as good as we think we are at picking up on lies, picking up on fake stories, and we have to accept that. So what that means is that when someone provides us with an opportunity or an idea or whatever it might be, we have to be skeptical. Now, doesn't mean we mistrust everyone. And after I read this book and I read an interview from the author that she said after she wrote the book, for a while she was just skeptical of everyone and mistrustful of everyone. But over time, she said that slightly changed. But that's something that we have to accept that Yes, we try to be skeptical, but we are still trusting, which is a balance that we all have to try to figure out on our own. It's not easy to know when to be trusting and when to be skeptical. We try to keep a healthy skepticism. Um, and along with that, it can be good to get other people involved. Unfortunately, many times people who are trying to con us, they tell you not to talk to anyone. And actually, when those IRS callers, those fake callers, will talk to you. They say you can't talk to anyone. They even make up legal statutes that if you discuss this with anyone, well, that's violating statute, blah, 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 and they'll name some fake thing to you because they know that if you discuss it with someone, then their skepticism might come into play and you might see what's really going on. So the truth of the matter is you yourself are not going to be able to figure it out all on your own and we have to accept our limitations and our weakness in this sense. Because our brain is an incredible apparatus. Um, and in this book that I'm going to talk about next week that I started, he talks about this also, also in MindWise, that it's incredible what our mind can do, but it also has limitations. And also what we know humans are very good at doing is to trick and convince ourselves of something that might not be true. We have this powerful machine, but because of different type of biases that we can have, our brain could see things in a totally wrong way. It's kind of like our eyes, which are so good at seeing, and let's say, for example, seeing color. But if you put pink colored glasses on, you see everything as pink. And so if I ask you what color is that, you say pink. 
something else pink and you see everything that same way. So although you have this incredible uh, tool in the eyes that you can see things with, because of this lens you have on, you see things as pink. In our brains, those biases are those types of lenses that we think we're seeing something objectively because we have this powerful machine at our disposal, but because of biases, we can see things in a particular way. And very often when we're being conned, we like to think that we know what we're seeing, but very often we're not. So the book is an interesting one. She shares lots of stories of different con men and people that they've tricked throughout history. And some of the stories are truly remarkable. And again, when you read stories like this, remember that although you might think, how stupid could these people be? How could they fall for it? You never really know what it's like to be in a certain situation. From the outside, and especially when you're reading the summary after the fact, it's so easy to know that it was a con. But when you're in it and you're actually interacting with someone, it's very different. Um, so if you, you hear someone share a story or you read one of these stories, remember that it's easy to think you would act in a certain way or we'd like to believe I would never be conned. I'm too smart for that. But we have to recognize that we're all susceptible to these types of things and we can all uh, be victims of a con one way or another. And uh, so I thought the book was good at representing that and showing that it's not just some people, it's any of us can be victims. And because of that, we all have to be aware of this. So if you haven't read it already, I'd recommend the book, The Confidence Game by Mar Maria Konnikova, which is a book for this past week. And for this week, I hope you'll join me in reading Mindwise by Nicholas Epley. That's the book for this week. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, studio number 3104410555. In the first segment, I talked about the book, The Confidence Game by Maria Konnikova. And in the, I mentioned something that she talks about in the book, which I think is very important, that one of the reasons why people tend to get tricked into these confidence games by con artists is that we have this belief in our own ex exceptionalism, this belief that somehow we deserve things, that we deserve things to be easy for us, that maybe we deserve this break. And that makes it us more susceptible to be tricked because someone comes with us with something that sounds too good to be true. And rather than being skeptical, there's a part of us that thinks, yeah, no, maybe, maybe this makes sense. I do deserve this. I'm a good guy or a good girl. I've done good things. Doesn't that make sense? And actually, even sometimes they play on that by having you who gets tricked somehow do a good deed for them. A classic one is that you find their wallet and they're so grateful that they say, gosh, you know, I want to somehow pay you back. And there's a famous one that they talk about in the book where someone wanted to pay them back. He's like, no, I don't want to pay you back. Well, the person said, okay, then let me at least take the money I was going to give you and do an investment. And then that reels them in and they get caught up into it and eventually they get tricked. But part of it is that the person thinks, yeah, I am a good guy. See, I was so honest that I didn't steal the wallet or take anything out of it. I deserve something good. It makes sense. And the con artist is very good at playing on that. And this is something important for us to remember, not just in the uh, situation related to confidence games and being scammed or schemed, but that in our lives in general, that 
yes, we are all exceptional to ourselves and the people around us, but there are no exceptions to the rules that we have to do whatever has to be done to get what we want to get to. And it reminds me of uh, the book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, where he starts with, I can't remember if he says life is difficult or life is hard, but something along those lines. That life is not easy. It is challenging. And actually, Sarvanaz Amanat, who was on the, the uh, show a few weeks ago about her book, Self Hell, she also starts the book with a similar line of something like life is difficult or life is hard. And I think it's a very important one. It sounds pessimistic. Um, maybe people don't like to hear that. And especially with some new age types of ways of looking at things, people like to just think of life as glorious and beautiful and a miracle and magnificent and only good things. But the truth of it is that life is challenging. It's hard. If you want something, you have to work hard for it. And there's a lot of these truisms, these adages that people say that sometimes can cause us trouble. For example, good things come to people who wait. And so you hear that and you think, okay, well, let me just wait in my house and I'm going to get a great job offer because I'm so patient and I'm waiting. Well, no, you have to be patient, but you have to also work hard. Good things come to those who work hard and are patient in their hard work because they don't just think, well, I've worked hard for a little while. I should get something. And if not, let me give up. They think, no, I have to keep working hard. I'm patient in that way. I wait in that way. I keep doing the right things. I keep working hard. I do everything I can. And through that, good things will come my way. Not that good things just come my way because I wait. And there's a lot of this feeling of entitlement that many people have that affects them in this way. This feeling that somehow I just deserve things because of being me. And it's becoming even more common in this day and age, in my opinion. I think it's always existed. I've mentioned before the break that there's a healthy narcissism that we all have. We all have to, because we're with ourselves all the time and we have to take care of ourselves, it can be good for us to somehow see ourselves as special or I deserve things or I want to give myself things and focus on ourselves. People also tend to overestimate themselves in many ways. Most people will tell you that they're better than average, which doesn't make sense because really if everyone was accurately looking at themselves, we'd have a balance that matched reality, but most people think of themselves as better than average. So that some of that can be okay to be overconfident to a degree where we see ourselves in a certain light. But this idea that we're entitled to something by being us is a problem. And I think social media is definitely negatively affecting this, where everyone thinks they're so special. They want to get online and get a lot of likes and followers for no reason, but just because they post pictures that are cool or they look good or they go to cool places or they saw a celebrity and they put a picture and somehow that should give them something, but they haven't done anything. And I think that's a, a bad thing. This culture of likes and follows is a very negative thing because people are getting obsessed with that, getting likes and follows for no reason and losing that what actually matters is having or doing something of substance that you work hard and you create something and you might get lots of likes and followers, or you might get a lot of people to like you real life, like you not just give you a thumbs up on Facebook, but that is from doing something good rather than just 
being entitled to it. So it's something for every one of us to think about. How am I going to work hard to achieve my goals and my dreams or give myself what I want? Um, when we ask teenagers nowadays, research is showing that what they're most focused on is being famous. More than even being happy or even in some ways successful, they'd rather be famous. That's what they're all searching for. Not famous because they do something, but really focusing on the fame, having attention. And with social media, lots of people and reality TV, lots of people are famous for doing really nothing. They're just famous for being famous after a while. And that's what people want. They think how great it is. And I think, of course, this is reflective of something miss missing from within us where we don't value ourselves enough, didn't get the type of love and attention we needed and the validation we needed as children. And now we're seeking it from the outside to fill up this hole that is on the inside. If I have millions of people that follow me, then I'll be happy. If I have um, people wearing my name on shirts or saying my name aloud or whatever it might be, taking pictures with me whenever they see me or paparazzi following me, then I'll be happy. None of which actually happens when they get those things. They don't become happier. But that is what we think because we feel what's missing within us and we're seeking it from the outside. If only people from the outside gave me this type of attention, then I would be happy. Not realizing that it's something from within that's missing that can never be filled from something on the outside. But coming back to the notion of deserving something and how I was talking about, it's very easy to get conned when we think we maybe deserve something for nothing. Maybe, yeah, there's no such thing as a free lunch, but I'm the exception. That's our exceptionalism. I somehow deserve that and how that gets us into trouble. Really, you shouldn't want a free lunch. You should want to work for it. It doesn't mean you don't have people that help you out. You don't necessarily have to do it all on your own. It's good to get support. You use connections, you network, you do all of that, but you do it the right way. It takes hard work to get there. You want a PhD, you have to work hard. You want to... Um, have any kind of degree, whatever it might be, you have to work hard. You want to be a good singer, you have to practice and practice and practice, maybe get vocal coaching, doing a whole bunch of things to become good at it. But many people, they just want to be a famous singer. It's like, do you want to create music? No, no, not necessarily. I just want to be a famous singer, people to love me, people to be, to adore me. They don't want to give anything. They just want to get something. They want to take something. So focus on what you can give and whatever it is you can give, that's from your gifts and talents and abilities, then you have to work very hard to develop that. Keep working on making yourself better at what that is, and then you eventually could deserve whatever it is you're yearning for. But some people want to get what they want without doing the hard work in between. They're missing really the biggest part of the equation. The first part is you think about what you want. That is big. You visualize, you um, can think about why you want it, what makes it important for you, and push yourself. But then the big part is that longer part in the middle where you work for it. Most people miss that part, or especially I think this generation misses that part. I love watching sports, but I think a lot of times younger kids will look and they say, oh, I want to be so-and-so, I want to be LeBron James, or I want to be Messi, or I want to be uh, whoever it might be, not realizing that they don't just show up on the day of the game and have fun and get all this attention. They're working hard, putting in hours and hours, 
working out, exercising, studying, having coaches talk to them, doing a whole bunch of things to prepare themselves. But sometimes we only see the part where they're shining and don't see the part where they work hard to shine. It's kind of like uh, a diamond or a, a gem. You have to polish it really hard for it to shine. But sometimes people just show up when it's bright and shiny and thinks, yeah, I just want to be that. So we have to remember life is difficult. Life is hard. It's a challenge. And to get to any goal that's worth getting to, it takes lots and lots of hard work. No one gets there on accident. No one gets there just by luck or by chance or just because they inherently deserve it. We all like to hear those stories of the wonder boy or wonder girl who just is so brilliant or so good at something that they magically make it to being super successful. I think sometimes that's because we have that desire, that dream, that, oh, it'd be so nice to just be so good from within me or have some skills that I never had to really work hard. I just make it because I'm so good. And I think it's understandable to have that desire that it would be nice if we didn't have to work so hard, but we have to realize it's just that a desire or a fantasy, but it doesn't match reality. If you want something, you have to work very, very hard for it. And the good news is when you work hard to get to what you want, once you get there, it'll feel that much better and sweeter. But none of us is entitled to greatness just by being us. We're entitled to greatness only if we work hard and do everything it takes to get there. So figure out what your dream is, what your goal is, and then figure out how to work hard to get there and then do the work to get there. And then once you're there, you'll feel so good that you put in that work to get there. But none of us becomes great by accident or not by putting in the effort. It's only through hard work. We're only exceptional if we work exceptionally hard. Okay, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. Welcome back. For the last segment, I wanted to talk about a concept related to a lot of the books I've mentioned recently, which is understanding our limitations. So we might think this sounds like a negative thing. A lot of the books that I am reading um, have to do with things like um, ways that we get things wrong. For example, the book for this coming week, Mind-Wise, Why We Misunderstand What Others Think, Believe, Feel, and Want, talks about how we tend to misperceive other people. And actually, the part I was reading today, which was fascinating, is that we're even bad at knowing ourselves. So we might think we are so good at understanding people around us, but it turns out we're not that good or as good as we think and we're overconfident. And when it comes to ourselves, well, of course, we think I'm in touch with myself every day. Shouldn't I be able to know myself very well? Well, actually, it turns out that we're not as good as we'd like to think. And there's a lot of other books that I've shared along that vein, looking at understanding ourselves better, but then understanding our limitations, understanding where we fall short. And many people don't like that. They don't like to be told where their limitations lie or that they're going to get things wrong in a particular way. People really don't like to be wrong. Um, actually, that's one thing that it talked about in the confidence game. One of the reasons that many times the cons are not reported, and it actually allows for these con artists to keep acting, is that many people don't report them to the authorities because they're so embarrassed 
that they've been conned, that they've been tricked, that they fell for it, and they don't want to ruin their reputation by telling uh, the authorities and then the word getting out that they've been conned, so they don't say anything. Lots of times they'd actually rather everything end as quietly as possible, just like the con artist does. They just want it to walk away, but a lot of times we are allowing them to do that. We want that ourselves, but we don't like to acknowledge that we are wrong, but it's important for us to know our limitations and our weaknesses and to not pretend like they don't exist. And of course, this is not only at the species-wide level, understanding human beings and our psychology and the limitations, but also on an individual level. So it's good to know our limitations because they, they can help protect us. For example, um, fortunately, most people don't think this, but if you didn't want to know that you can't fly, you said, don't tell me I can't fly, I want to know that I, I, I think it's possible. Well, you might just walk off of your roof or walk off of a building thinking you can just fly down or fly around, but you can't. So you're going to get hurt pretty bad. So not knowing our limitations and weaknesses actually hurts us. To really know ourselves, we have to know our weaknesses. And as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, we're actually much worse in understanding ourselves and even our weaknesses than we might think. But with work, we can get better at understanding ourselves. So we need to know our weaknesses because actually by knowing your weaknesses, you become stronger. By knowing where you're vulnerable, where you're sensitive, you become stronger in whatever way it might be. You can even just start physically. If you know you have a bum knee, well, then you might wear a brace if you're doing something athletic or you might know not to bend in a certain way or to avoid bumping it or whatever it is. You actually allow yourself to then function better because you don't allow it to, to hurt you. You don't allow it to get hurt by it. Similarly, in our psychology, we have to know the same thing. When you work with addiction, sometimes people have this idea, I want to be so strong or so over my addiction that I can be in, let's say, an alcoholic because I want to go to a bar and there's my favorite type of alcohol is there and everyone's drinking and I want to be able to not drink it. I want to just be able to go there and not care. It's possible that someone gets to that level. It does happen. Rare. I would even, I don't want to even say it because I don't want to give someone that idea because it is risky. But more realistically, what someone who is an alcoholic has to do is avoid alcohol places where there is alcohol. Sometimes they have to even change their friends because if they're people they would drink with, they're going to associate them with alcohol or they know they will bring it around and they have to just avoid it. They know that that is a weakness for them. And either they can accept that they have this weakness or they can more than likely relapse and suffer and potentially even lead to death because they didn't want to accept some area of weakness somewhere where they weren't that strong. So we have to accept ourselves and that we are fallible. We are weak in some ways. Everyone has weaknesses. Everyone has insecurities, vulnerabilities, whatever the case might be. We are not perfect. We're not supposed to be perfect. And to believe that we are only means we're going to hurt ourselves and the people around us. So we have to know, okay, for me, I've suffered with alcoholism. I know that this is my weakness. I have a choice of avoiding it, not putting myself in bad situations, understanding my weakness, or I can try to be arrogant and face it and more than likely fail, hurt myself, hurt those around me and be back at square one. So we have to understand 
those weaknesses. Now, it's not just in the case of addiction. So if you're not an addict, it doesn't mean, or you haven't dealt with addiction, doesn't mean you don't have to worry about it. it does, this is for everyone, no matter who you are. If you're in a relationship and you have certain insecurities, you have to understand them. You can't always avoid the situations, but if you communicate with your partner, well, then you guys can work together to help offset whatever that insecurity might be. But many of us don't want to acknowledge that we're weak or have some insecurity, so we don't want to acknowledge it to our partner, especially men have a hard time being vulnerable. And instead of acknowledging a weakness or a vulnerability, when it gets triggered, we won't talk about that. We won't say we're hurt, but we'll lash out with anger or somehow try to get back at our partner. And in this indirect way, we hurt both ourselves and our partner and the relationship and the cycle continues. And this is something that I see happen very often and a reason why I'm a very big advocate for talking about men's feelings and emotions and understanding that men too are allowed to be sad or allowed to be vulnerable or definitely allowed and should cry when they feel they want to. And all these things are very important for their own mental health and sanity, but also for their relationships um, as romantic partners and parents, friends, and all the other relationships they have in their lives. So if we're able to know and acknowledge our weakness in a relationship, we can tell our partner, for example, I am a jealous person. You can tell your partner that and let them know that this is an issue that comes up. To let them know to try not to trigger it, but also if something comes up, that this you're acknowledging it's partially your issue. Usually when we have arguments with our significant other, we'd like to think it's just about them. You did this thing and you're the bad guy or the bad girl and it's all your fault. But we tend to forget two things. One, the part we played in contributing to the conflict very rarely is a conflict or disagreement totally one-sided. But then also, even if maybe it is something just our partner did, how our own issues contribute to what we are feeling. How angry are you in that moment? It might not just be about how bad of a thing they did, but because this is a sensitive spot for you, a sore spot for you, or it's triggering history for you, something you had with your parents or in past relationships, and it's not just about this moment with your partner. And that awareness and understanding, knowing that this is an area of weakness for you, makes you that much stronger. Because instead of reacting at your partner, instead of uh, feeling horrible about how much it's affecting you and getting so riled up and angry, you recognize, okay, I'm upset. I think what my partner did wasn't very kind or good or it was hurtful in this way, but I can see where my own issues play a part and play or contribute to how I'm feeling right now. So knowing our own emotional and psychological weaknesses actually is a strength because it allows us to interact with the world in a way where I let those things affect me less than they would if I didn't know about them or if I wanted to pretend they weren't there. So you basically have two choices. One is to think that you're perfect and have no problems, have no issues. Other people are the issues or have issues and are the issue in any a disagreement you have, or to accept that I'm a human being and by being human, Naturally, I am fallible. I have issues and things that I can work on and areas of sensitivity and vulnerability. And I might tr get triggered by something and it's not that someone did something bad, 
but it's about me as well. And with that, you are able to approach your relationships in a much better way. And if we think about it, anytime someone tells us a story or the majority of the time, they only see their side and how someone hurt them. So if someone tells you, I can't believe what my husband did or my wife did, my boyfriend did, whoever it is, did. And they just keep telling you about the person, about how bad of a thing they did and how mean they are and how this, can you believe that? And they're this and that and the other, and they only see it from their side. And usually if we talk to a friend, we think a good friend is just going to back us up and say, yeah, you're right. How could they? How dare they? They're the worst. They're this or that. And we could sometimes need a little bit of that, the empathy and the support to show that we understand where the person is coming from, that they were hurt, that they didn't like what the person did. So I think you start there with the empathy. But a real good friend doesn't just stop there because that just leaves us at the place of being a victim and out of any control or power of of handling the situation. What you want to do is do two things. One is first get them to see, well, how did you potentially contribute to this conflict, to this situation? Is there anything you did that contributed to it? Is there anything you did that escalated it? Sometimes we forget that. We say, well, so-and-so started it. Okay, well, they might have started something, but if you escalated it, that still plays a big part, and that is probably why you're feeling why you're feeling a lot of what you're feeling. So, what did you do that potentially contributed to this conflict? And explore that uh, how you can, and then also look at well, how do you think your own issues, your own psychology, might contribute to how you're feeling right now? Now, many people might get defensive when we say this because it seems like we are blaming the victim or we're blaming you who feels like the victim in that moment. But really what you're doing is try to allow you to understand the situation better. One, to understand it better and come to better peace of mind. Maybe it wasn't just my partner's fault. I shouldn't just be mad at them. Uh, Maybe I contributed to it and maybe this is a sensitive issue for me, but also it actually empowers you. So it's not to put the the person or the victim down, but it's to empower you that actually you maybe are contributing to this more than you think, which is not about blame, but actually allow you to recognize you have more power in this situation than you think. If you just have a jerk of a girlfriend or boyfriend or a mean husband or mean wife, well, then you feel like there's not much you can do. But if you realize like, hey, actually, I played a part in this and you know what, I felt so much about this because this is a big issue for me. Now you're much more empowered to do something about it in several ways, one in working on the relationship and also in working on yourself. So a good friend, although many of us are looking for this, doesn't just agree with us and egg on whatever we're saying and say the other person is evil and we're an angel, but tries to give us a more balanced view and gets us to see how we played a part in both the conflict and also in how we're feeling at that moment. And again, knowing our own weaknesses and limitations, although it might seem like a bad thing, is actually a good thing. Through knowing my limitations and through knowing my weakness, I actually become the strongest I can possibly be. So to know ourselves means to know those things. And if you're in a relationship, the vulnerable thing to do and the good thing to do is actually share those things with your partner so that you can work together on the relationship and make things better for the both of you. So to know your limitations, to know your weaknesses, that's the true strength. All right, we've reached the end of tonight's show. Again, the book for the week, MindWise by Nicholas Epley. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. Thank you to Amir here in the studio. Hope you have a wonderful night.